Hey there, I'm Jeremy with Good Beer Matters. First, thank you for listening to the Good Beer Matters podcast, where we explore the craft and culture of beer. Second, I want to see the beer and hospitality industries improve so we can do a better job, make more money, and so guests can have exceptional experiences. Good Beer Matters is dedicated to the pros and enthusiasts in the beer industry because we are the ones who will make it better. To that end, I want to invite you to subscribe to my monthly newsletter where I share perspectives on beer, styles, pairing, and some practical beer education. Go to goodbeermatters.net to subscribe. My name is Jeremy, and this is Good Beer Matters. We have always been surfers and um, would visit Central America. You know, we saw where it was going in the U.S., and we weren't sure that we wanted to jump into that rat race, if you will. Why be the uh, 4,000 when we could be the first? It's known for its Pura Vida lifestyle. It was really about seeking uh, adventure and a fulfilled life. It's a dream to spend the day doing the activities you love with the people you love. Then cap it all off with a great conversation, a meal, and a very good beer. My next guest tells the story of his pursuit of this dream and creating this experience for his guests. We find great experiences at the intersection of craft and culture. These are the stories of us, of great food and the beer that brings it all together. For the craft and culture of beer, this is episode 126 of Good Beer Matters with Matthew Greenberg of Cerveceros del Mar. Well, uh, welcome back everyone to the Good Beer Matters podcast. This one is going to be particularly fun for me as my next guest and I were chatting offline. We are born of the same cloth. We uh, live in the same uh, human habitat of, of just doing cool things and uh, spending time in the water and around beer. So Matt, I'm really, you know, I'm just going to say it. I am stoked to have you on the podcast. Thanks very much, Jeremy. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. So uh, for anyone who's, uh, who is not familiar with, uh, with Nicaragua Craft Beer Co. or even Papagayo, uh, tell us a little bit about you and what you're doing. Yeah, um, so I, I guess I'll start with kind of where we are today and in terms of you know, what, what our, our company is up to. And then if you want, we can uh, get in the time machine and, and go back and, and start from the beginning of, you know, Ab- absolutely. How, how we but, got here. but first, first we need a sense of place and then we'll go back and hear the origin. For sure. So um, basically um, I run Cerveceros del Mar Holdings, which is a, a company that, that um, owns and operates two breweries, both based in Central America. The first one is Nicaragua Craft Beer, uh, Craft Beer Co. and um, the Cerveceria San Juan del Sur, which was the first ever brew pub and actually craft brewery altogether in Nicaragua. And uh, from there, we launched an export brand that uh, is present in the U.S. now in 18 states. And then after that, we, we launched another brand uh, and brewery, which is a production facility, vertically integrated wholesale and also retail in Costa Rica called Papagayo Brewing. So um, it's a, it's a, they're distinct brands that are both really uh, built to be true to their place of origin. And, um, and, and those places are Nicaragua and Costa Rica. Well, and, 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 
you obviously do distribute uh, at least at least one brand that I've seen up to uh, the U.S. because I've gotten a hold of the uh, uh, Penga Drops uh, Keller Pills in the eight yeah. ounce can, tiny little can. Yeah. Um, uh, and so, if anyone's out there uh, looking for it, you know, it, it can be found. And I'm not sure exactly where you distribute. You can fill us in on that. But but tell me about that that little eight ounce can. Yeah, yeah. So the the little can was really um, born in the in the tropical heat, where your last uh, few ounces of a twelve ounce can, or God forbid, a, a sixteen ounce can, um, are just going to be boiling by the time you get to drinking them. Um, so you know, it's actually a pretty pretty popular format for soft drinks in in that part yeah. of the world, Central America, areas closer to the equator. So. Um, when we launched that product in the U.S. in in 2017, it was it was a very um, in our minds underutilized style that could help differentiate us in a very crowded U.S. beer market. Uh, but but more importantly, you know, again, be true to the the place of origin um, in in Nicaragua, where where that format is uh, is quite functional. And you know, I, I think it's actually pretty functional in in the U.S. as well. Um, you know, when you're on a boat or on whatever golf course or walking in the park or you, you name it um and you know your your last fiances get get a little gross <laughs> in the <laughs> afternoon sun yeah. um, that that's not happening so um it, yeah it, it was a cool project for us to be able to bring that to the u.s well and, and i like the idea and, and granted it you know if, you know i granted i'm speaking to everyone around the world but you know most people know that the u.s is known for we want things that are bigger we want we like yeah. big big trucks big this big <laughs> that you know and and right on and so the idea of a smaller beer uh at first glance just seems like wait that uh that doesn't make any sense but to your point you know if if you have this in in a you know, the Southwest of the U S or Florida or somewhere tropical, it's, you know, your drinks get, you, they start condensing. If there's humidity in the air, it start warming up in your hand. And, and, and so there's that whole aspect of, I want to drink it while it's cold and which is fantastic. But there's another aspect to that too, that I really love is it, it almost helps automatically pace your drinking. So you can keep on drinking uh, without going too far. And, and it's reminiscent of, my experience in Spain where they, where they have cañas, uh, that like That's the right. five or six ounce, uh, drinks right. where it's, where you, you're throwing them back and then you get another one and it's fresh and you throw it back yeah. another one. It's fresh, right? Is that kind of what you're yeah. going for? Totally. Totally. Another adaptation of that, that we see is like the, um, the leader bottles where people will get them to share amongst, you know, five or six okay. people. Um, so it'll be like one large leader bottle come out of the fridge cold. It'll then be poured into five or six glasses of course, cold because it's just been poured um, and crushed pretty quickly. So I think, you know, depending on depending on the way the angle that you're approaching this from, um, it can either allow you to uh, have a more kind of approachable drink that you can that you can enjoy, you know, on your own at your own pace, uh, which could be slower. But also some people who are more into the volume uh, view them as just like super crushable as well. Which is which is also fun. So I I think it it um yeah there's a value proposition for uh, a couple different uh, angles there depending on uh, how you like to drink beer. Yeah, 
And, and, and if I'm going for volume, then, you know, the problem is easily solved by just having one in the chamber ready to fire, you know, correct. <laughs> and it's just correct. It's like you're having a little small bucket full of ice and, and it's like your beer is always going to be cold. You just have to go through the trouble of opening yet another one is not that, that big a deal. That's right. Yeah, that's right. One of our kind of, um, main pieces of POS for the, uh, for the U S market is the, the bucket for that reason, because yeah. it's pretty fun to get to get eight of them on ice, you know, plopped on your table. Yeah. Uh, Cause it, you know, you, when you see that we drink with our eyes first and you see this bucket full of small beers thinking, Oh, I can't wait. This is going to be great. Yeah. <laughs> That's just yeah, totally. right off the bat. Um, totally. so, so tell us, you know, we, we talked about this a minute ago. Let's go back and talk about the, the origin. I mean, yeah. who were you before beer and, and, and how did you end up in this beer and in that place of the world? Yeah. Um, so basically the, the, we started the brewery, my partners and I, um, well, actually all, 10 years ago to the month, we, we moved to Nicaragua, um, to, to open the first brew pub. But, um, uh, before that we were basically college students. Um, and we had always been interested in beer. Um, one of my founding partners and I had worked at Cisco Brewers in uh, Massachusetts as a summer job when we were in school. He was on the production side and I was on the kind of more of the sales and uh, business development side and always liked it, you know, always knew that we were entrepreneurial and wanted to start our own business. Um, but, you know, I think like a lot of people when they graduate from school um, kind of went for the first kind of safe thing that was yeah. available to us, which was um, in my case, something pretty far from where I ended up, it was uh, working in insurance in New York, and I was uh, I was writing um, writing insurance for financial institutions and uh, slowly dying in a cubicle. And uh, I was just say that that probably drove you to beer one way. Yeah, or the exactly, other. exactly. So um, we were we were surf we we have always been surfers and um, would visit Central America at least once a year to go on a surf trip, and um, so we had some familiarity with the region. And, uh, one of those, the, the, a trip that we took after I started that job in New York was to, um, Costa Rica and to Nicaragua on the same trip. So we went to, we, we flew to Costa Rica, we rented a car, uh, we, we drove to the coast and we worked our way up the coast surfing until we got to Nicaragua, we crossed the border and we, we checked out, um, you know, what, what, uh, Nicaragua had to offer as well. And when we were in Costa Rica, the, we, we saw that the craft beer scene was really beginning to emerge. This was 10 years ago in, in, in 2014 at, at a time when the, the U.S. craft beer business was really exploding, um, the, the market that, that is. And I, I think it was at that time there were about 3,000 craft breweries in the U.S., um, and, and just a few years later, there were like 10,000. So that was yeah. kind of right on the crest of, of that in, insane boom um, that, that happened in the U.S. So, we, so while we were um, interested in craft beer, we also knew that, you know, we saw where, where it was going in the U.S. And we weren't sure that we wanted to jump into that, that rat race, if you will. Um, and then after seeing what was happening in, in Costa Rica, um, where there seemed to be a few uh, brands that were doing pretty well, um, you know, the, the wheels started turning that this could be a really cool opportunity. So then when we, when we crossed the border to Nicaragua and we got to a country that was, let's say, like 
what we viewed as like the second inning of the tourism development, you know, curve, uh, and there were no craft breweries, it, you know, we said, why, why be the, uh, the 4,000th or the, you know, the 10th when we could be the first and, yeah. uh, went back to our, our desk job, started working on the business plan, uh, during our lunch breaks and 10 months after that trip, um, having quit our jobs, raised some seed money, moved to Nicaragua to open the country's first craft brewery. That's, that's incredible. And, and I have to say, I love hearing that story. Uh, and I have heard that story a couple times before because there are a lot of really awesome places. I, I think, uh, again, offline, you and I were talking about uh, Jordan Gardenhire who opened up uh, Baja Brewing in Cabo and kind of a similar thing. Uh, it's just, uh, you go on a trip and you think, oh my gosh, how can I live here the rest of my life? And, and, totally. and, but, but so few people have the the wherewithal, the courage. Um, I don't want to talk down upon the up upon this, but so few people will take that step. But, right. but you're one of the ones who did. You're you're gonna upend what we're supposed to do. You know, you graduate college, you get a big job working for corporate, then you get married, then you have two point three kids. You know, it, it's like you follow, there are few of us who want to avoid that formula and create their own destiny, if if you will. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's that's definitely true. Um, we we kind of knew from a I guess a relatively early age that um, we we wanted to we wanted to live and seek fulfilling lives. And and at that time, um, whatever it was was telling us that the way to be most fulfilled was to um, was to do something different and and do something that that really spoke to our hearts and, and to our passions and and um, moving to. A place like Nicaragua was um, was extremely exciting and, and checked all of those boxes, and also, you know, um, seemingly a, a, a great business opportunity. So um, that was enough at you know 24 years old to uh, to you know feel convinced to take a plunge like that. And you know, what I think what a lot of people told me back then in terms of seeking advice, um, especially a professor I had from, um, college who ended up being very influential in my life, um, was that, you know, these decisions to your point, Jeremy, um, don't get any easier the older you get, you know, because you have more things that, um, you know, right, not talking down on them rightfully ground you, you know, and, and, and limit your, your decision-making, um, filters, right. Or, or add filters, uh, to, to your decision-making process. And, um, you know, at, at that, at that age, there weren't many of them. So it was a perfect time to, uh, to, to buy a one-way ticket and, and, you know, raise some money and take the plunge. Yeah. It, it's harder when you have kids, when you have debt, when you have a house or mortgage or, you know, uh, whatever that is, it's harder to burn the boats and buy that one, one-way ticket and, and, you know, you know, figure it out. Um, but yeah. kudos to you for doing that. Um, you know, I, I do want to tap my foot on the space real quick because I, I would mm -hmm. imagine I, I'm thinking it. I'm sure other people are thinking this as well. Uh, talk to us about the, I th you know, I think most of us, especially in the world that we occupy with water sports and beer and everything else, are are somewhat familiar with Costa Rica uh, from that standpoint. But we talk about both that and Nicaragua, Nicaragua as far as the 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 political situation the safety for travelers and 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 please address that hey there it's me jeremy again i forgot to mention that i also have a podcast with my dear friend the incredible julia hers 
Together, we've created the Sense of Beer Style podcast. It's the essential training for those who want to lead in food and beverage. We've created episodes to cover foundational beer knowledge, as well as Stylecast to walk you through each category of the 2021 BJCP Beer Style Guidelines. If you work with beer as part of your job, then subscribe and listen so you can become an authority. Go to senseofbeerstyle.com to subscribe. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, both um, very, very safe places to visit as a tourist. Um, I will say there's a distinction between um, Nicaragua and Costa Rica in terms of um, what's gone on in in the last, like, you know, um, 30 and even 10 years um, in terms of political stability. Nicaragua has definitely been through a couple ups and downs in regards to that. There was the Contra War that that ended in the late 80s, early 90s. Um, mm-hmm. And the, the U.S. actually played a role on, uh, on the losing side with that, um, uh, which I think gave Nicaragua a, a, a you know, I'm saying like a bad name, but like a, a a, a, a name that prevented has prevented a lot of Americans from viewing it as a safe place to visit. Um, well, there's a big, there's and, a big question mark there for right. anyone and, and interested. That, yeah. And, and that was certainly true, you know, for a while, but, you know, beginning in, let's say um, the early two thousands, the, the country really began um, uh, standing out as a, as an international destination that was like, not so Americanized and and it ruined by some of the things that happen when you're too far on the other side of that spectrum. Um, and not to point any fingers at any specific locations, but you know certainly there are some places in Mexico and and even Costa Rica that I think um, uh, people have been to that feel more like Florida than than you know any other um, uh, Latin American country. So, um, and there are some things that are, you know, in Nicaragua's case that, that were really great about, about that situation, both, uh, in the early 2000s, both as a, um, tourist, but also as an entrepreneur. So as that momentum continued to grow, um, into 2014, we, you know, there, there's this country that is literally exploding as a, as a newfound tourist destination, um, and, and has, uh, relative stability and safety for tourists. It was um, it was almost like a uh, it was almost like a new frontier. Um, and and as a, as an American, um, in terms of places to go and and have a cool experience. So um, there was since then, however, there there was a, a blip in that stability in 2018. There was a a, a revolution um, that uh, resulted in you know a good amount of uh, violence within the country. No, no foreigners were ever harmed during this. Um, this was a, a very tense situation within the country and certainly affected life there um, and our business for, you know, uh, 18 months or so. Uh, but, you know, happy to report that things have stabilized again. And it's, it's, um, it's, it's a really, you know, it's thriving as a, as a tourist destination and for good reason, because it's, um, it's a really, really beautiful place where you can have, again, an authentic experience that has not been, um, like, so let's say, overly Americanized. Um, and then yeah. on the other hand, Costa Rica has been an extremely kind of stable place to visit as an American for decades. It has no military. It's known for its Pura Vida lifestyle. Um, and uh, I think, you know, actually COVID was a great example of how 
safe and stable it is because it was one of the first countries that Americans started going to internationally um, and, and Europeans and Canadians as well um, internationally when um, you know restrictions started started to get uh, lifted because it's always been viewed as a as a really kind of safe place with a good healthcare system and um, and, and you know relatively easy to get to as well. Yeah. And the reports that I've heard from people who have been there and I haven't been there yet, uh, but uh, that that uh, Costa Rica is no longer a secret. Uh, there's lots of great places to go. The, uh, you know, the next question I want to ask you about that it kind of addresses this in Costa Rica is, you know, you know, the the infrastructure uh, is yeah. there. And, and, you know, for those people who want to travel to somewhere tropical and coastal, you know, we, we don't necessarily want to rough it, uh, even though we right. know we're leaving the U.S., but I mean, there's sure. healthcare considerations, there's activity considerations uh, for both travelers and expatriates. Yeah, yeah, that that's true completely. I mean, the infrastructure in Costa Rica is outstanding. Um, there are countless, you know, really, really nice ho hotels and resorts. The roads are good. You don't have to bump around in, in a four-wheel drive vehicle to get to where you're going unless <laughs> you want to. Um, and if you do want to, you still can. Um, the, you know, the surfing, fishing, diving, hiking, um, bird watching, you know, you name it is, is all like incredibly um, world-class and just beautiful. There's a, one particular part of the country where in a, I think it's like a 10 mile square area, there's 1% of the entire world's biodiversity, um, which is just, you know, staggering. And, and it speaks to how, um, how good Costa Rica is at conservation as well, because, you know, it has been on these, the, the radar for, for international travel for a long time due to these reasons that we're talking about, but it hasn't been destroyed either. Um, and, and that's, you know, a, t a testament to the, the, Costa Rican government and and the people who really value you know the natural beauty um, and again the pura vida like lifestyle that that they're fortunate enough to have there. So uh, I'm going to kind of I'm going to use that as a pivot point to switch gears a little bit because uh, yeah. it's the second yeah. time you've mentioned it uh, on your uh, Nicaragua craft beer site. You talk about the tranquilo lifestyle or in Costa Rica yeah. the pura vida. What is that exactly yeah. for people who aren't familiar? Yeah. Um, well, I think, you know, it can, um, it, it can mean different things to different people, but um, it, it's really about enjoying the place that you're in and uh, get stepping away, I think, from, from some of the, the rat race uh, that that's associated with life in, in a lot of other places. And, um, and frankly, can exist there if, if, if you, if you make it so. Um, but yeah, really, really, again, about enjoying the natural beauty and, and the surroundings and, and the like-minded people that, that you're there with. There's just so many nice things that you can do there that, that get you outside and, and get you kind of living in a healthy and sustainable way um, for, again, whatever that means to you, um, that it's pretty hard to resist. Uh, yeah, I, it sounds very familiar with, you know, uh, the aloha spirit or, or other, other mentalities or, or the slower, the slower lifestyle in different countries, I don't like, I don't like Spain or something like that, where, you know, where, you know, you, some people still take their afternoon siesta because that's part of just like slowing down and recharging and, and just really being mindful and present and enjoying your surfing, your bird watching and tasting your phenomenal beer. It's, you know, it's, we can slam it or we can taste it and enjoy it. The choice is yours. Totally. 
no, that that's that's exactly right. It's all about living with balance. Absolutely. Um, so speaking of, uh, tell us a little bit more about the, the, the brewery itself and the, in the pub, uh, the Nicaragua craft beer, and we'll talk about Papagayo in a minute. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like I said, when, when we, um, when we first started the project, there were, there were no craft breweries in, in Nicaragua. So, um, that presented a, a great opportunity, um, to kind of define the space, define the, the market almost, um, and it also presented challenges because no, there were no, um, there were no uh, avenues that had been cut yet to to do things like import brewing equipment or um, access brewing ingredients or you know um, have the the right professional um, services that 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 you can need to to build a brewery. So all of that we kind of had to do ourselves and. Um, you know, it started with um, importing the equipment and the government not knowing what tax um, code to apply to it because nobody knew what brewing equipment was there. Um, so, you know, it was in the end, we got this great um, tourism tax incentive that again speaks to um, uh, the, gr the tourism growth in Nicaragua. And um, import duties are, are quite high um, in, in a lot of um, countries in Latin America. And you know, without this, this tourism tax incentive, and basically this was an incentive designed by the government to promote um, the types of businesses that support tourism. Um, so hotels, guide services, and in our case, breweries. Um, and that would, would change our import duty from like let's say 50% of the value of the equipment, which is a ton um, mm -hmm. to, you know, about eight or 10%. So that's very meaningful on any budget, let alone, you know, a startup budget. So um, we, we went off to trying to uh, get, get that incentive applied. And because the, you know, the government didn't know what craft breweries were, we literally had to create, you know, presentations and go into the, the government buildings and, and explain to a room of people what a, what a craft brewery was. Um, and as a result, um, hopefully get this tax exemption. It worked out, but it, it also resulted in our equipment getting held at, at the port for about six months while we were doing this convincing. Um, so that was a unique challenge. And then we, we brought the, uh, we finally got the tanks in and, um, the truck couldn't uh, couldn't drive down the street of the brewery because the power lines were too low. So oh, we had to get a forklift um, to lift a smaller forklift into our building. Then uh, the, the larger forklift would drive down the street, grab one of the tanks, drive it back up the street, drop it up the step, you know, into the brewery where the second forklift would pick it up drive across the floor, lift it up on the second floor and install it. So, you know, things like that, I could go on for hours, but, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of unique challenges, uh, in, in being, uh, being the first ones to do it there. But, um, once we got open, it was really a great, a, we, you know, we had a great reception from the town and the local community. We, we tried very, to, uh, become a part of the community and to do things that were, um, you know, it, conducive to inclusion and, to just um, good good vibes uh, and and creating a positive place where people wanted to hang out, and um, 
and it was it was fantastic so that was like step one is was opening the brew pub which is in i should say is in san juan del sur nicaragua which is kind of the the busiest tourist beach town uh in the country and certainly for any of your listeners if you were gonna gonna go to nicaragua for the first time i would say you know that's definitely definitely should be on the uh the top of your your list um a lot of good hotels and beautiful beaches and restaurants and bars etc um so we opened the brew pub and after a couple of years of, um, you know, good growth and, and, um, good results, we, we, uh, were ready for the next, uh, the next chapter, which was contracting the, the, the macro brewery in Nicaragua, the only, you know, brewery that existed before us to help us with, um, the production of one of our, our recipes on a larger scale to export to the U S and that's the pang drop stew that that you encountered in the wild, um, somewhere in Idaho, I guess. Um, and that that was actually in Oregon, but yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. We do have a a small presence in Idaho as well, but, uh, uh, so that was that. And we launched, um, that skew in 2017, um, about two years after two and a half years after we opened the brew pub, um, and started self-distributing through a company called MHW that basically allows for that model in New York and California. Um, then we, we, um, brought on artisanal imports as our full service importer and built a network of, of distributors across, um, uh, a, a much bigger footprint. So that's kind of the, the, in a nutshell, the story of Nicaragua craft beer co. Uh, so, one of the challenges that I would I'm I'm kind of like uh, thinking about now is is you you create this place you're trying to cater obviously to some locals but tourists at the same time and right. that's a hard that's a hard thing to balance you know yeah are are you are you the tourist place that all the locals don't want to go or are you that local place that the tourists can't find right. how do you manage that yeah a really good question um, so I think it's there's kind of two facets to it one is the um, well there's the the part of the Nicaraguan population that mostly lives in Managua, which is the capital city, and views San Juan del Sur as sort of like their weekend getaway place where a lot of them have beach houses and whatever. This is the more affluent um, uh, segment of the population. A lot of these people have, you know, uh, gone to college in, in the United States or even like high school or have family there and they have ex- international exposure, which means um, not only, you know, a, as I said, they have a, a, a little bit more disposable income to spend a little bit more on a beer, uh, but they also had exposure to craft beer uh, given their travels. Um, so for them, it was easy. You know, they they came to their beach uh, beach getaway place and they set, saw craft beer in their country for the first time, and they were really psyched about it. Um, for the people who were kind of more native to the coastal areas and grew up in San Juan del Sur or some of the other towns around there didn't have that international experience. This was a totally new concept. And also they didn't have quite the disposable income or they don't have quite the disposable income. I'm speak I'm obviously generalizing right now, but sure, sure, um, sure. Uh, uh, that a lot of the people from Managua do. So um, for them, it was more about, okay, this is this is what craft beer is, you know, creating tours more in Spanish than in English. Um, and doing tastings and walking through the process and also creating events where, you know, uh, we could bring down the price point of our, of our beers, at least for one night, um, to, to open up some doors and, 
and open up some opportunities for for people to um to try some beers and also something that we did was that we um a lot of people in in San Juan del Sur um Nicaraguans work in hospitality because tourism is so big there so yeah. we created an incentive where um you know that some of the surf instructors or tour guides or whatever if they brought their groups in um comprised of foreigners they would eat and drink for free um so that would you know obviously be good to bring groups into the brewery but also be good for them to not you know to to be included in 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 that event and um and not you know just be sitting on the side wishing that they could afford yeah. it which is obviously to, nothing yeah to, that just we the fact that you have a group hub there should be enough to bring people in it's like oh we've got craft beer and something to eat let's go there but you've also created that funnel of all those people that are going to do these activities we're that's just part of the tour <laughs> we're gonna exactly. end up we're gonna end up at the brewery that sounds amazing yeah, to me. <laughs> exactly and then and then you know speaking of the tourist side of your question um it that part was pretty simple because you know a lot of most of the people visiting nicaragua are coming from places where craft beers is is pretty uh widespread and um synonymous with like you know a, f a fun day of of doing cool stuff right so it's like you know like you said, you go, go have your surf, surf lesson, go fishing, come back and, and celebrate your, you know, your, your adventure with, with a couple pints and some nachos or whatever. Yeah. Well, and, and that's one of the things I'm going to ask you to talk about now is, is, you know, and, and, and I, I'd love to hear the differences between Nicaragua and Costa Rica, um, yeah. culturally and this and exper experientially, but you know, it, uh, yeah, I think it's fairly safe to say, again, this is a broad generalization, but I think it's fairly safe to say that if anyone's going to travel there, um, you know, I guess, it, I guess it could be on business. Uh, uh, I'm sure you did that a few times, but I think most of the time it's going to be someone who needs to go on a on vacation, take a break. So they're probably going to surf or take surfing lessons, go spearfishing, you know, go hiking, go birding. I, I, I knew a guy who was a, a voracious birder and, yeah. and Costa Rica was his, uh, was his Mecca. Um, yeah, yeah. And he checked He checked off like half of his list right there in Costa Rica. Um, <laughs> And, uh, and so the, the experience there, I mean, you're already, you, you're already have this, uh, vacation euphoria happening. So right. anything, you know, anything you eat or drink is just going to add to that, but totally. how, but, but putting that aside, yeah. how, how do you create this experience, uh, of, of coming to a place, getting a sense of place through the flavors, through the aesthetics, through uh, just the the circumstances of coming to that pub. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I uh, another good question, and I think there's a a lot of ways to answer that. Um, and and it, that's that's something that um, is an ongoing process. I think for us as a as a, a, a business is to. Um, continuing to develop our offering to create more and more and more better and better experiences for our customers um, that are again like representative of the place of origin. And I think as a brewery, the, first and foremost, it starts with the styles of beer that you're brewing. Um, so for us, you know, there's no imperial stouts. There, we did one time. We did a um, a double IPA with the guy from um, Jeremy Tofty from Melvin Brewing came down. He's okay, a big yeah. surfer, and they're famous for their um, their their double IPA. I think they had won a that's, couple of awards. That's Wyoming, right? That's right. Uh, yeah, Alpine. Okay. They started in Jackson, um, and then they they moved to Alpine. 
Um, right so he snowboards and he surfs and, um, he came down to surf with us and, and brew beer. So that was the only time we ever brewed a, a double IPA. <laughs> hey, um, work trip. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We called it L Melvin. Um, but, um, it, and that turned out to be a great beer and obviously it sold because it was a cool story and a unique thing. But, um, generally speaking for our flagships, you know, we try to brew beers that are very appropriate for the climate, which is hot and you know, relatively dry. Um, so lighter beers, um, you know, fruitier notes and, um, something that you can really enjoy when you're on the beach or, you know, inside, but it's, it's 85 degrees outside and, and you're, you know, uh, maybe you have a sunburn. (laughs) So, um, uh, that when we started the brewery, um, one of our, our, so, so the styles is one thing and then, you know, where we can utilizing, local uh, local ingredients is another so one of the beers that we've had a lot of success with um in both in both countries and through both brands is a passion fruit ale and oh, yeah. the passion fruit um in in uh central america is delicious it, it's very tart um unlike some of the you know the the purees or whatever you might find in the u.s that are i think have added sweeteners and even if they're not they're kind of like more fermented in the fruit by the time they're processed. So they're, they're sweeter and less tart. Um, so we literally, um, buy, uh, passion fruit from our friend's farm and in the brewery, the team, you know, sanitizes them, cuts each one open, scoops it out and puts it in a, in a sack, which then goes into the fermenter. Um, so, and and it, and the, the, you know, the tartness of that fruit balances the hops so well. And, and creates this like incredibly um, uh, just delicious flavor that is again just so uh, intertwined with with the whole area that you're in, and, and it's a really cool experience to drink that beer, you know, 50 feet from the beach um, in, in Nicaragua. So that's um, so it's you know the styles that we're brewing, utilizing these types of local ingredients where we can, and then I think you know. Um, doing events and, and creating a, a regular event schedule that um, that that also kind of play into what people like doing there and what makes being in a place like that so great. So you know, our busiest night of the week in in the cerveceria in Nicaragua is open mic night on Wednesday nights, um, and it's an incredible draw because you know you've got like a few of these these expats that live in San Juan del Sur who are great musicians and don't have much of a chance to perform or to play. Um, and then you've got the, the random backpacker or family or whoever that's passing through town and the, the, you know, the mom or the, the daughter or the guy, you know, are just happen to be these incredible musicians that who stumbled into this place on a Wednesday night. And you just get this cross reference or this, this, this cross kind of like cultural experience that, um, where Nicaraguan musicians are playing with Americans or playing with Canadians and Europeans and. Um, and it's just this like super cool, um, inclusive environment that really helps build the community. So, um, and then lastly, I, I know I've been talking for a while, but, um, in, in Costa Rica, one of the things we do is the, uh, the Ola del Mez, which is the wave of the month. And mm-hmm. it's a, um, Instagram competition where surfers around the country will submit their best clip, you know, the best wave that they caught, um, for the month and, um, uh, tag the right you know, pages or whatever, and, and that will submit them for a chance to win a cash prize for both them and their filmer. Um, 
And then we do a party at one of our accounts at the end of every month where we uh, screen the the waves and you know there's an MC who announces the winner, hands out the cash and the beer, and it, and it's a really cool event. Um, and it's uh, it's exciting for the surfers and cool for the community. So so you know it's a it's a tapestry of of different things that kind of uh, build up to answering your question in terms of how do we create that experience. But um, yeah, that that those are some of them. Well, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm grateful because you basically just described the end of my perfect day and, <laughs> and it, you know, start, it starts with spearfishing and or surfing, probably a nap because I'm getting older, but the, then finishing out a day like that, it's, it's uh, so it, but, but, but it's particularly to have the opportunity to go to a place where, where you can commune with people from around the world because we're all travelers and all on that vacation euphoria. So everyone's your best friend, but as well as locals and, and get to know people, get to know the place in a more intimate way than, than doing all the tourist traps. That's one totally. of the issues I have with whether, whether uh, the times I've been Italy, Spain or elsewhere is just like, you know, I don't want to go to uh, the places where everyone else is going to go. I, I, I was still, I, I still get a little embittered from 20 years ago going to, to Italy and seeing this, this, this incredible, uh, museum that everyone should go visit. And just down the road, there's a McDonald's. I mean, it's, in yeah, the pictures. Yeah. you can't avoid that in the pictures. And yeah. it, 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 that's, that's not the experience we want. It's, it's that experience of communing with that, you know, the, the experience that the place has to offer, but then getting to know the people and, and each other and sharing that authentically. That's just cool. Yeah. And, and I, that's exactly right. And, and I would say that, you know, again, talking to like, why, like, why, why Nicaragua, you know, um, that, that's a, that's really the answer. Um, is what you just said. So, um, one thing I do want to know is, uh, what is the food like in each respective place? Uh, you know, beer and food pairings is a really big deal to me and a lot of people, um, you know, if, if I travel there, what can I expect to eat and drink yeah. and enjoy after this perfect day that you just described? Yeah, I mean, I, I'd say the cuisine in both places is really about accentuating the the ingredients um, that uh, are so um, clean and abundant. Uh, so you you almost have to try to find processed food um, in in those countries, which is again part of that whole pura vida lifestyle thing, at least as they describe it in Costa Rica. But you know, you can expect some really fresh fish and ceviche, San Juan de San Juan del Sur is, after all, a fishing village, um, and that's how it developed. And, mm. uh, you know, a block away from the, the brewery is a fishing port um, where the guys go out in their pangas and they, they you know, bring back their catch every evening. And uh, that's uh, uh, Penga Drops, the, the beer that we um, sell in the U.S., is, um, gets its namesake from that and the surf spot that's pretty well known, actually. So, um, yeah, definitely a lot of fresh fish, um, a lot of really good produce. Um, Rice and beans, the gallo pinto is is a staple of actually three meals a day, um, if 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 you want it to be, um, it's it's rice and beans cooked in a in a really delicious way. And actually, you know, uh, Nicaraguans and Costa Ricans would actually fight each other over which is the the more uh, correct way to prepare the dish because mm -hmm. uh, there are some there you know it's a really passionate issue. Um, and uh, something that, you know, I think both countries are really proud of. Uh, and yeah, I mean, again, it, it's it's just really about the, the freshness of the ingredients and, and um, 
the, I would say that the, the, um, the nuance of, of the dishes really, um, gets to the, the particular establishment that you're going to, but, um, what's consistent across the board is, is just, again, the quality and freshness of the ingredients. It's funny. It kind of reminds me of, um, again, many years ago, I, uh, my wife and I went to Belize and, and we learned that there, uh, two basically main dishes, there's rice and beans and there's beans and rice that are, <laughs> they're totally different. Um, but I, I still remember, you know, it, it, you know, when I say it out loud, it sounds boring. It sounds like a staple. It sounds like uh, forgettable. But you know, when you have it done, and they had this particular spice blend that they put on the chicken, and it was served with like fried plantains, and and it yeah. was it was an incredible meal. I even got one of those spice packs and took it home with me to try and recreate it. And then I still think about it today. And it's been a decade yeah. and a half. It's 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 crazy, but it was so it's so good to just enjoy those flavors and get that sense of of that regional flavor and, and totally. just, and stick it in memory. It, it, I'll never forget it. It was incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you, uh, we, I think we kind of touched on this a little bit too, but, uh, from, from your experience, not just within Nicaragua or Costa Rica, but your experiences, you know, around the rest of the world, um, you know, how do you define and how do you deliver the, uh, uh the experience of, of, of beer and food as opposed to just serving a meal? Um, yeah, I mean, I think uh, you, you sort of hit on this already, but it's, it's really about, um, for us, look, so when we started the, the, the first brewery, it was really about, um, it was really about seeking, uh, adventure and a fulfilled life. And that's what we really try to, um, encapsulate in in our products and in in our experience at the brewery. So for us, you know, the 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 ideal day is spent on the water, surfing or fishing, um, working up a good appetite, and then and then earning the uh, the the celebration at the end. You know, over over some beers and and really fresh food. I think in terms yeah. of specifically what kind of food are we making. Um, at the so in talking about Nicaragua at the Cerveceria, our, I would describe our our menu there as like um, Southern barbecue meets Latin bar food. Um, so we have a, a big smoker that lives in front of the brewery and it's running like four, probably four days a week doing uh, pork shoulders, chicken, sausage, even fish sometimes. And, um, and that's a big part of like how we prepare our proteins there. Um, and then, and then using again, a lot of those, those um, not, uh, really just fresh and local ingredients in terms of the produce and putting a, a you know, a, let's say a little bit of a gringo spin on it. Um, but being true to the place that we're in is really kind of where we, where we kind of center with our, our food offering. Um, and, and again, beers that, that are somewhat crushable and really clean and crisp and bright, um, are, are, are really what we go for with that. Uh, and for all the beers, so I, I found Panga Drops uh, up yeah. here in the U.S. What other beers from either brewery uh, can you find in the U.S. or elsewhere? I mean, where where are you distributing in total? Yeah. Yeah. So um, in terms of uh, outside of, of Nicaragua and Costa Rica, um, we're only selling Panga Drops. And that is because um it, it's a beer that we know can can do well with the um the international freight which is you know frankly like not a good thing for beer as any of your listeners who like are 
beer people uh, know it, the, the, the fresher the beer, the better. So we have been very deliberate in terms of brewing the right beer for export that can do better in that international voyage than, than most other offerings. And, you know, I think that like to off, to sell an IPA um, brewed in, in Central America, in the U S it just doesn't make a ton of sense because, you know, you're going to lose your hop character. There's probably um, depending on how you're packaging it over time, you're going to get some oxidation. Um, It's probably not going to be kept cold. Um, So, we we brewed a, a pasteurized Keller Pilsner that's extremely clean and and very bright and and well suited for that journey. Um, it's also something that the contract brewing facility could handle and and handle well with with the right nuance that was required. Um, it's uh, so you know I, I think international export um, is is it's a whole different beast. Um, but in in Costa Rica, where we have our own cold chain distribution, our four flagship beers are our Tropical IPA, our Beach Lager, um, our Offshore Ale, which is an American wheat ale, and our Passion Fruit Ale. And then we do a rotating IPA series as well, which is kind of like a a mystery, um, a different a different recipe every time. We only brew it once until it sells out, and then um, and then you got to move on to the next one. Basically, we also do yeah. a few seasonals there. In in Nicaragua, we have rotating taps, but of course, those are uh, only available in in Nicaragua. Sure, um, you know, I, that's interesting. I was going to ask you about that because you know if you know if you're going to ship an IPA from Nicaragua to the U.S. where there's already a bazillion IPAs, it yeah. it, it either it either better be amazing or it, it better be like a tourist souvenir that people want to reminisce with or something like that, oh, right? right? Um, yeah, I, I've I've uh, I, I'm not saying accused, but I, I talked about that with uh, Garrett Marrero from uh, Maui Brewing. It's like a lot of mm-hmm. his beers that shipping to the U.S. is just like, I, I want to continue that island experience that I had. And so this right. is a nice way to do it. But uh, Absolutely. Yeah. But your but your decision to do a Keller Peer, uh, Pills, I was going to ask you about because a Keller... Yeah you know, authentic Keller, you know, it's all about the green, fresh, um, not quite hitting their stride yet type of flavors, yeah. but, yeah. but, but you just answer you're, you're pasteurizing that. That's right. Yeah. So we're, we're basically with that, we wanted to brew a, a style of beer that could really cast a wide net in terms of who can enjoy it. Yeah. And we find with the Keller pills, it's a sort of a, a great in between in terms of being interesting to a beer person. Um, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a lager that, you know, you don't see a ton of still in the U S. Um, I think in the last year or two, I've seen more and more of them actually, which is great, but generally speaking, you know, it's a, it's a lesser distributed style. Um, and it's a fun one. And then for the kind of less, um, beer geeky people, it's really crushable still, even though it's a slightly higher ABV than your typical lager. Um, it's, uh, it's you know got a little bit of sweetness to it, not a whole lot of bitterness, and it's something that you know um, is not uh, such a hard transition from a macro lager to you know to a Keller Pils. So um, it, it was really for us, and, and then in terms of the can design, also trying to make it really inclusive, gender neutral colors, like it's not overly aggressive or manly or feminine um it's yellow and blue and and we wanted something that could really just be hopefully attractive to it to a wider audience 
Well, I I thought that one was particularly well done because uh, because the just the simple aesthetic on the can stands out on the shelf. The, yeah. the size of the can is different, so it stands out on the shelf. Um, you know, for an old surfer like me, then you know, just the the imagery of that catered to me. It made me want to taste it because you know the it's the uh, it's the marketers that sell the beer. It's the brewers that bring them back. Right. And, That's and so right. that worked yeah. for me, but then the beer nerd in me saw Keller pills. Ooh, I got to try that. So, uh, right, it, right. it, it fired on all cylinders for me and, and hopefully it will for others too. But, um, it's been some time since I found it, but it, it I remember uh, drinking it, enjoying the heck out of it. So well done there. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. It's a, yeah. And I guess lastly too, I should mention that the, the contract facility that we're working with on it, um, is, it, the brewmasters are German. It's it's partially owned by Heineken, um, so it's a beer that was very much in their wheel, wheelhouse to do. Of, of all of our recipes, one so that they we knew know that they what could they're do doing really well. Yeah. yeah, and again, you know, I think that's why you know most of our beer we we like to brew ourselves and distribute ourselves um, in within Central America. When you when you you know when you get into contract brewing, it, you have to be very very sure that um, your your brewer is going to be aligned with your your offering and with what you're trying to do as a brand. Um, and I've definitely seen uh, some mismatches in in that area, you know, before. And and I think it's something that you know gets overlooked sometimes when when companies are are thinking about how to how to scale. Yeah, uh, you find a similar problem with breweries who make an amazing. Pilsner, uh, again, in this example, because they have the wa water profile for that and they don't do anything else right. with the water. And they're thinking, oh, man, I win so many awards. I must be an amazing brewer. Let's brew uh, an Irish stout. And it just doesn't come out the same way. So it's, it's just it, being aware of, you know, uh, the, the the matching of, of the, the pairing of the people and in, in the, in the beer is also important, too. So that's, uh, that's a good point you just brought up. Yeah. yeah. Um, to... Uh, to kind of uh, start winding things down a little bit, I've got a little uh, series of questions uh, that I ask every uh, guest. Uh, and and because of your service to Nicaragua and Costa Rica in the beer world, uh, tomorrow you get to be king of the beer world for a day. What what is what is uh, one thing that you would change about the beer world around the globe? Oof, uh, that's a tough one. Um... Well, I would bring I would bring back the pale ale. Um, I'm <laughs> I've been really upset with what's happened to to my beloved style um, of pale ale. You know, with the explosion of IPA everywhere, it's pretty much taken over pale ales and probably a lot of other styles as well. We keep mm -hmm. one on at, at the brew pub all the time um, because I think it's just a, a great crisp style of beer that a lot of people were brewing for a while. Um, and unfortunately, they lost the tug of war um, to to the um, the crazed um, hopheads. So on that note, I'm going to keep ranting, and I, I'm going to um, I'm going to uh, limit the number of hazies that any one brewery can brew um, be, because I don't think it's good for any of us. <laughs> uh, it, it, you know, it's, the funny thing is that's not the first time I've heard that. So yeah. um, so I you know I love it. It's good to be the king. Uh, so at the end, at the end of that uh, royal day of in the beer world, uh, we are going to fly you anywhere in the world to have whatever you want to eat and whatever you want to drink. So where would you go and what would you have? Hmm. Um. Okay. Um. I think I'm gonna go 
down to Argentina for a, um, a traditional asado. And, um, and I'm going to pair that with a pale ale. Um, actually the way to to stay true to that flag you planted in the sand. (laughs) Exactly. Um, the, the, uh, uh, Patagonia brewery down there does a great one, um, that I really like. And you got to have a little Malbec as well, you know, while, while, you know, when in, when in, um, Argentina. Do as the Argentinians do. Love it. Exactly. Uh, the, the next big question is, uh, kind of simple, kind of difficult, depends on you, but uh, why does good beer matter so much to you? Um, yeah, good beer matters to me because it's, it's part of our mission in terms of living true to ourselves and authentically. Um, we want to create a product that is aligned with, um, with, with, with those values. And, you know, I, I, I mean, look, I think it's easy to, to be a, a snob and to point fingers, especially when you're in this industry, uh, but to do whatever you do with purpose and to do it, you know, at, at a quality that, that you can be proud of um, is, is, is really important in terms of um, having fulfillment in the way that you live. So um, I, you know, I guess I'll end it there. That's, that's why it matters to me. I, I love it. Fulfillment in life to live out your purpose and do it well and, and be good to other people and, and hopefully surf and eat something nice that day too. Um, you know, if things go well, there will be millions of people around the world that hear this and, and want to come, uh, flood your place. So anyone who's looking for you, anyone who wants to learn more or come visit eventually, where can they find you? Yeah. So social media, um, Instagram at Papagayo Brewing or Nicaragua Craft Beer Co. Um, websites are the same. Um, and yeah, you'll, you'll find all the info you need, uh, from there. Excellent. Uh, and last thing, uh, do you have any words of wisdom or any calls to action that you want to share with listeners? Um, I, yeah, I guess I would say that, um, if you, if you ever find yourself on the precipice of, of one of these, um, one of these adventures and you're, you're, you know, you, your heart's telling you yes. And your mind's telling, you no, you know, um, I would, I would recommend that, that you go with yes. Um, because it's what we did and we haven't looked back from there and, uh, certainly grateful for, for the, the winding, uh, journey that, that, that decision has taken us on. Uh, that is incredible advice. Thank you so much for putting this out in the world and sharing it with the world. And and uh, I, I certainly cannot wait to come visit in person someday. But uh, thank you for coming on to the podcast. No, um, thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's been a pleasure and I uh, really look forward to seeing you down there. Yeah. Cheers. The joy of the Pura Vida or the good life is sometimes just out of reach. In our fast-paced societies, I believe we need to find ways to cultivate more of it. Slowing down enough to taste good food and great beer and to share it with loved ones is the way. In the next episode, we head to the Netherlands where an importer is infusing Dutch beer culture with American craft. I'm on a virtual tour of the craft and culture of beer around the globe. I've put Good Beer Matters on video so I can take you along for the ride. If you know of a person, a place, or a beer story that needs to be told, let me know. Meanwhile, grab a beer, hang out with friends, and let your world open up. Thank you for listening. Cheers.